Welcome to Owl Have You Know, a podcast from Rice Business. This episode is part of our Up Next series, where faculty researchers and alumni weigh in on the trends currently shaping the world of business. So today on I'll Have You Know, we have two phenomenal guests, and I just wanted to thank you both for taking time out of your busy schedules to talk with us today. Uh, Dean Peter Rodriguez, the Dean of the Jones School of Business, and Allison Weaver, the founding executive director of uh, the Rice University's Moody Center for the Arts. Uh, what was interesting when I was doing some background research on both of you is, uh, Peter, you came in 2016, right Right after Allison, and you both... We're old-timers now, by the way, at Rice. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've accomplished quite a lot in a, in a very short, actually, period of time. And, and you also are Princeton grads. Were you there at the same time? I don't know. So I graduated... Uh, in 98, but I was also there in the early 90s as well for a short period. I took a leave of absence in between master's and PhD. And I graduated from the undergraduate program in 1993. So I was probably, we pro- we may not have overlapped have in terms of our... Um, if you took Econ program. 1 or something, I don't know if yeah. you had, but there might have been a moment <laughs> where I was precepting. It could have been, it could have been. I, I don't remember, but it certainly, it was a fantastic, it's a great university. Uh, and so it was like... Transformational experience for me too. Well, we're thrilled to have you both here at Rice, and and uh, what a what a great opportunity uh, to have you collaborating together. So, so Dean Rodriguez, when you came here, uh, you really have transformed the Gem School in so many ways. Uh, you've doubled enrollment. You've increased the tenured faculty. You've really um, deliberately uh, wanted to diversify the student body. Uh, you started an undergraduate business program. Uh, Phenomenal and on so many different levels. And and one of the things that uh, is exceptionally unique, in my opinion, is that you recognize the need to integrate art within the business school. And you understood the importance of, of art and, and of being immersed, of students, faculty, staff, visitors, everybody being immersed in art. So, so I want to start with you uh, and, and ask you, you know, why did you choose to do this specifically for the business school? Well, I think it's a good question. You know, arriving in 2016, I remember thinking that I was very fortunate that Rice had these incredible strategic foundations for a business school. You had an exquisite university, well-earned reputation for rigor and academic standards. And then Houston really demanded, uh, you know, a school that could meet its global scale and reach very cosmopolitan place, but also a large commercial space. So growth was in the offing. I think my first reaction on the inside, the facilities are wonderful, was, but there was a, a lack of, of, of life and energy on the inside. It I, was stark. It was, it was just a, bit a few photos. stark. Yep. I thought it felt unfinished, frankly. Um, and I don't think you were activated um, mentally coming into the space unless you were in a classroom. So outside of the rooms without people in them, um, it was more of a pass-through building, I felt like, and I don't think that it really was congruent with the rest of the university and what you felt outside, and in a funny way, outside, because of the beauty of the campus and the nature, I think you felt really awake as you were in an academic environment, but inside there was a missing element, and a lot of what we did was to try to address that, and it was apparent that we really didn't have any intentional art, for the most part, uh, in the building uh, that really 
fit with the rest of the vision for the energy in the building. And so that was part of the initial thought was what can we do about that? And, and very quickly people told me about Allison and it was obvious she was doing a lot in building this wonderful, incredible space too. So Allison, so, so you came from New York, you were at the Guggenheim and, and really world renowned for all of the work that you've done. Uh, of really bringing art to the forefront of of the world. So so tell me what brought you to Rice from New York, because that's, you know, that's kind of a long way to come from New York to Houston. Uh, and, and tell me about how uh, you've been cultivating the relationship with with Peter. Well, I thank you and thank you for having me today. I'm, de- I'm always delighted to talk about art and its intersections with with business and with other fields. Um, and that was what, in fact, drew me to return to Houston. I'm a native Houstonian. In fact, both my parents went to Rice. Um, so in some ways, it was a return to to an earlier phase. Um, but I think also seeing the potential, just as Peter said, of um, entering a place like Rice and like Houston that have so much potential, have so much both already there that is um, active and exciting and innovative, but also the potential to um, bring that forward and invite both our student and faculty community on campus and our public community off campus to come together and um, be inspired by, in my case, the intersection of art and ideas. So I had the opportunity to come to Rice to open the Moody Center for the Arts, which is where we are now. Um, Beautiful building, by the way. It's a, it's a fantastic building. We were fortunate to be able to build it here on Rice campus with the architect Michael Maltzen, with really the goal of creating a a platform, if you will, for the intersection of art and ideas. And I like to say that the Moody isn't restricted just to the building, but is really um, goes beyond the, the physical walls to the campus and even the city to think about the ways in which arts can um, inspire us to, to think differently or to at least um, maybe twi- uh, torque our vision slightly and so that we think about innovative approaches to problems that we're facing um, in our world, and in, in our case, in our academic disciplines. And also to to, to really uh, spark thinking outside of the box, you know? I mean, when, whenever you go to an exhibition in, in a museum, you walk out changed, you know? And so that's something that, that art has this powerful impact um, on everybody. And uh, the fact that Rice really um, wanted to focus on that says a lot about the school. Uh, and the fact that you really wanted to focus that oh, sure. in the business school says a lot about your understanding of of the importance of it. Yeah, I think in in particular, you know, if you think about where where organizations create value, it's through the creative process, right? You have to find solutions to complex problems in order to create value in the world. And that's less about being cloistered away and you know sharpening your pencil and green eye shade on doing work than it is about trying to work together. And, and opening your mind to things that haven't been done before in ways of proceeding. And so that's what we really want our students to think about is how do they how do they open their minds and use their very best of all that they know uh, to make change happen and to make uh, progress in the directions we want. So whether it's medicine or the energy transition or tech, uh, creativity is at the heart of everything businesses need to do. And we needed a way uh, to live that a bit more than we were living it at the time. So let's talk about the curating process. So, so currently there are 19 installations, 17 different artists, most of whom are women, uh, and I'd like to to talk about that. So, so how do you choose 
the installations? How do you choose the artists? Is there, a, you know, a a uh, process that artists go through um, if they're interested in, in being a part of of Rice University's public rice initiative, uh, public art initiative? Well, we really start, and certainly in the case of the Jones School, with um, what would be appropriate for that that particular the mission of the school, and as Peter's articulated today and and in other settings. Um, how can artists help us think creatively about um, problem solving, about uh, innovation and new ideas, and 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 the world at large? And I think um, we started by looking at the building renovation and identifying a few of the key spaces. So the first space we identified was the atrium outside of the auditorium, which is certainly a highly trafficked area. I love that piece, by the way. When, when I it's came awesome. to visit Rice, everybody loves. It. Yes, when I came to visit Rice, it was right at the well during the renovations. And I just remember walking in and just looking up and just, I just stopped in my tracks. So, well, I think, and I think that's a great example. So, that is a work by Pay White, an American artist called, and it's titled Triple Virgo. And we invited Pay to come to campus from her home in California and to meet with Peter and learn about um, the ambition for the school and the mission of the place and observe the community in action and really the energy and the um, diversity of the student body and thinking, um, really thinking globally as, as Peter speaks about and as many of the students are inspired both from by their own background and by their future careers. So she created a work that she would describe as a globe in flux. So it is a suspended piece. Um, I was going to ask you to yeah, describe it there, so for those that don't are, know. For those of you who don't, haven't been there yet, I hope you will visit, but it, has, it consists of 365 strands of um, suspended elements, each of which is individually designed. So each element of the piece it has a different pattern on the um, bottom and on the top. So it appears differently both as you circumambulate the atrium, but also as you look above from the second floor onto it. And as the light hits. And when the artist speaks about it, I think she was very taken with Peter's description of the need to inspire global leadership and to think broadly, um, both about our own communities, but how we interact with the bigger world. And um, ideally, that world is one that is ever-changing. We know that from how we're living today. Um, but it, also, it's exciting, and um, in that change is inspiration. It's not change that's necessarily always challenging, or it can be exciting and inspiring and one that in, intrigues you enough to want to go out and be part of it. So I think it's a great example of how an artist can um, speak to the mission of a place, but certainly in their own vocabulary. And Pei White's an artist who has worked in this format before, has certainly done other suspended pieces. And of course, there's the practical side of Having a hanging work allows us to still use the building in, a, in that active way that enables the conferences and classes that we host at Rice. I mean, it reminds me of, of a magnificent chandelier mm -hmm. almost that, yeah. it, that and it sort of rains down on you. Um, and uh, I have lots of photos with with my cohort <laughs> in front of that piece because it's just um, it's breathtaking. Uh, and, and so tell me about the other ones that, that are in the building. Well, I think it, it travels on from there to, we also thought um, both about the mission of the Jones School, but also about its context at Rice. So at Rice University, we have a wonderful public art collection. And one of the centerpieces of that is our James Terrell mm -hmm. sky space. It's called Twilight Epiphany, and it's just adjacent to McNair Hall. So it's literally right next door to this collection. And we wanted to um, create a dialogue in a physical space 
between the James Terrell work and other works on the collection in the collection and what's happening inside McNair Hall. So you'll notice that many of the works we have are feature, features one could describe as as being as having our light space and geometric abstraction. So works on the ground floor, for example, by Spencer Finch and Jose Davila, which are right next to Audrey's coffee shop. They both are very intentionally selected for their interest in light. Um, Spencer Finch's work called Goldberg Variations responds to both light and music in the Next Door Music School. Um, Jose Davila's work is a homage to um, the American artist Dan Flavin, who worked with fluorescent light bulbs. So he photographs um, these light bulbs and excises them from his own work and then mounts that in a box that's almost sculptural. So there's a a conversation that is going on around some of the formal qualities that we have on campus that complement, I think, the kind of ideational qualities that we've talked about. And so tell me about the artists that were selected and, and how that process is done. Well, we went into it um, wanting to reflect the diversity of voices at both the Jones School and their students and faculty and staff, but also more broadly in Houston. We're one of the most diverse cities in the country and wanting those artistic um, conversations to be stemming from around the world. So we have, um, you know, Jose Davila is from Mexico. Um, we have around the corner artists like Reina Begum, born in Bangladesh, or um, uh, Gabriela Hasper is from Argentina, or, uh, you know, Carmen Herrera is from Cuba. We have, we try to And she's 100 years old. She right? is 100 years old. I'm she sorry, what? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Wait, back up. <laughs> so, so she she was a hundred years old when she passed away. She, I think a hundred and one, just this last year. Um, a fantastic artist from Cuba um, who who worked on her own, really didn't achieve recognition until much later in her life as a a professional artist. And I think there there we hope inspiration for students in many ways. Um, if you look at the life of an artist like Carmen Herrera, I think many could take inspiration to pursue your vision. Um, you know, she very single-handedly and very in a focused manner pursued her vision for many years, and it ultimately was rewarded. And I think there's something, you know, starting a business is hard work, and you often have to uh, pursue your vision. Like an executive MBA, right? Could be like that like in the a sense, right? the executive MBA is like, it's never too late. There are many second acts and third acts uh, in life, and there, um, I, I do want to highlight one thing that comes through when Allison speaks is just how how much her, she and her team and all the artists listened to and thought about a little bit of what we were saying about the school. It wasn't just what would what would look nice or what do we have. It was what are you here for? What are you trying to achieve? What's this about? So early on, I remember in the conversations with Pay White, we talked a little bit about how we had started uh, a global field experience for every student in the school. You required. started that. We did. Yes, we did. <laughs> Let's take, I give did. credit. And the, ar the, and the argument there. was that, uh, one, it reflected what Houston was as a very global city, and you have everything reflected here. You can see world history and the immigrant flows that come through. But also just that we felt like a, a truly capable leader had to be versed in what was happening in and around the world. Uh, and that we always wanted people to sort of, we say, explore their boundary conditions, test your ideas, and try to understand if they will work in different contexts. And of course, they don't always work that way. Uh, what you know about how a business or organization operates here 
may translate in part, but certainly not in full, to different conditions around the world. And thinking about the whole world that way was opening up the lens of, and the aperture of the school, I should say, to that. So if you think about Triple Virgo and, and what it does, it's, it's, it's an incredible piece in many ways, but it's perfect manifestation of kind of that idea. And I always like that no matter where you look, it's, it's different. It seems organized. It seems chaotic. It seems like one thing. It seems like many things. Um, everything seems unique. Everything seems like it's part of one. It's beautiful in that way. And it was like good art. It changes for you. By Kandinsky, where you have chaos and That's right. Calm. That's right. That, that's right. Uh, very much like that. Um, and you can feel that throughout. As it came together, each time Allison and her team, Evroka spoke to us or spoke to me, there was in incredible understanding of what we were trying to accomplish. It's the same with the diversity of the artists, I think, where we spoke about how we really wanted to be a school that spoke to and included everyone. So if you think about even the way it comes out and in the ways we talk about the school, that you belong here, there is something in the composition of the set of artists that have contributed to the school that help us deliver that message. And also the the symbiotic relationship between business and art, because they're not separate, right? And I think that a lot of times people think that they are, but but they're not. I and I love hearing you say that because I think I'm I myself am an MBA graduate as well, and I think which helps so much. <laughs> so you can't imagine the level of she gets it that you have. Oh, she and gets it's a so lot. Rare. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that it's what well, I think what we all are living in a world without boundaries. And so this idea that instead of thinking about things as siloed and maybe individually, let's say fields of expertise staying in their lane, I think the real question is what can we learn from each other and what exciting sparks are generated when those fields collide? So when you think about artists and the the creative problem solving that they do. And many are research driven in their practice. They are looking in deeply into um, questions that concern them. And those could be questions of the environment. They could be questions of, in the case of the artist Beverly Pepper, she's interested in big pharma. You know, what, how, are pharma, how is the pharmaceutical industry affecting our culture and our public health? These are, these are questions that aren't just purely aesthetics. And I think that what I hope putting art into spaces can do um, is really open up those fields of inquiry for unexpected exploration. We don't have to predefine that response, um, or at least if we're thinking about those in terms that are ultimately practical, of course, if you're, you know, the rubber hits the road in, in real world applications, but it can help open up questions that I hope will, will drive our culture forward. And you know, I have so much faith in the students that, that Peter and the team bring to Rice and to, to Houston and hope that they'll take inspiration out as they go into the world to solve these problems. That's so beautifully put. I would just say, you know, that the that's so complementary to the idea we want to convey to students, which is you should question things. You should be open to and think about them. And you ought to have no boundary on that. And any academic institution worth its salt should invite students to do that. They are speaks to that perfectly. So what kind of feedback have you gotten from the students about the pieces? You know, um, it's universally positive, universally positive. I think from the beginning, there was a bit of a question like, oh, what's happening? What, <laughs> what is changing? And you could feel because in some ways, parts of the beginning, so you talked about the Beverly Fistman, uh, the Jose Davila and the Spencer Finch, they're all on the West End, which was renovated. And we had Audrey's coffee shop that went in. 
which which was an opening uh, that also invited more people into the building. It was the first concrete floor we had in the building, exposed ceiling. There was just a change a little bit in the interior architecture. So people loved that, and they asked questions immediately. As it expanded, I think it became several things. It became uh, waiting to see what was next, hoping for more, asking about the artists, um, and pride. I think there was real pride, and they wanted to show each other things and talk about it. And that comes out in in lots of different ways. People stop, look, ask questions, wanted to know more about what was happening. Uh, they take pictures. There's the Instagram phenomenon with Pay White, which happens all the time. But then, uh, you know, a great example, too, was um, the Kate Shepard installation when she was there, you know, uh, putting it in place. And it reflects the building and the colors and the scale. Can you talk a bit more? Can you describe it? I should let Alice okay, do okay, that well, piece. Okay. But I love that part of it. But students seeing that happen, uh, you know, there was a reverence for and a deep interest and a pride in it. It was, it was beautiful to watch. Yeah, and I think process can often be as informative as the final presentation. And so we like to make that process available. So when an artist is creating a work, we just we tend to just put stanchion off the area, but leave it open for people to see that in, in happening. So we invited the New York-based artist Kate Shepard to create her first permanent public wall drawing um, for the Jones School. And she was inspired by the architect, she by the architecture of the building, the original building. She has been trained as an artist and an architect, and she took the language of the atrium and its d dimensions, and she translated that into a wall drawing. And she, she took the red tiles of, of both the tiles on the floor of the Jones School, but also the red bricks throughout the Rice Campus, and she, made, she chose the color red. And so the, the patterned installation that she created um, is an echo of both the other surroundings and also her own practice. And what I love about it is that um, it's right outside the door of admissions. So I really like that students, I do too. every student who comes out of the admissions will be greeted by an original work of art that isn't, isn't something you'll see in another setting um, as, as you're traveling around, maybe interviewing at other business schools or, or even in your travels um, to other institutions. So I like that, you know, I hope students will... Um, see it and it also has because it's a wall drawing and it extends the length of the hallway it has an um, almost cinematic quality that reveals itself as you proceed so it, you see it differently if you're coming from the interior of the rotunda out or from the outdoors in or from the admissions door so you get different angles and you also see it over time so at night it appears different uh, when the lighting is more um, you know man-made versus during the day when you get more natural light and I think that's the beauty. One of the things about public art um, is that you do have a chance to have a, a durational relationship with a work of art. So you might come as a prospective student and see it near admissions. Then you might see it in your first year as you're growing um, in your own development as a, as a student and ultimately a professional. And you might see it as you come back for alumni events. And all of those experiences, I hope you develop a relationship with the work, but also potentially see it differently. And I think that speaks sort of analogous to how we see the problems we face in our careers or in our professions, that those problems tend to stay with you for a while. You know, if you're working on an important issue, it doesn't usually resolve quickly. Um, but you might approach it differently as you as you grow and develop and as your surroundings change. And I think the artwork that is meets people where they are, that where they're studying and living and working is quite different 
we do exhibitions at the Moody, and of course I love it when people come to see them, but they come and go. And so you have a snapshot in time, but not that durational relationship. And I think that's really special. Well, it's the same as, as you know, if, if you go to like the MoMA or the Guggenheim or, you know, uh, when we take our children, they they see the permanent collection. And then when we come back a few years later, they see things that they hadn't seen before, you know, because it, it, it you know, you grow and, and you really have a very different perspective. Um, I would add that just if you can imagine, so McNair Hall it isn't that old. It was finished in 2002. But we have lots and lots of students who come back for reunions or for other events. And there, they go on a tour. They really experience a building completely differently. And they, I uh, think they get a sense that things have changed and are changing. They get invited back into reconsidering what the school is trying to accomplish and with whom and for what purpose. And that's been great help in sort of uh, adjusting our identity and, and expressing our vision to in, in just a way that it reinvites you to an older space. So that's wonderful. And such a sense of, of pride, which we had talked about earlier, that, that you know, when you come back and, and you see uh, the growth and, 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 you know, just the way that, that Rice is stepping into a different chapter. Uh, so, so that's something that's very exciting to me as a, as a recent alumni. Uh, I've already seen so many wonderful things that that um, that have been transformed, and and I do want to talk a bit more about the renovations and the the what phase the the business school is in, and 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 plans for the future uh, as well for the public initiative. Well, so it's a very exciting time for us. Um, by way of sort of uh, history, you could see that the school has doubled, as you mentioned early in the podcast. Uh, we also started an undergraduate business major. It's very popular. It's leading to a lot of growth. It's the number one listed major for the incoming class of 27, if I did the math right. Really? The number one? Yeah, it's very That's popular awesome. and exciting. It's great. That's exciting. Uh, yeah. I think it's a great combination. You know, you, you still take more than half of your coursework around all the breadth of rice, and so you get a great liberal arts education or STEM-focused education, as you might like, but you can also get a great degree in this very strong field. Um, because of all this, we really outstretched what McNair Hall can do for us. It's about 160,000 usable square feet. And if you count all the spaces uh, like hallways and such, we're looking to add about 100,000 plus square feet uh, with an addition that could begin in early 24. That's been the ambition. Which means more art. Which means more art and more opportunity. And, and you can imagine that, that Allison is doing uh, great work to help us think about that. Even the building itself, though, I would say, is informed by the art we've gone in. So the architects who come in to look at your existing space to change their thought process about what you want for the future have thought, well, how do we incorporate a more modern addition to the building that adjusts the architect or changes it? It won't look like um, the classic expression that you see at McNair Hall today, which is a great Robert Amster building. But how do we adjust that with an eye towards the future? And that has have been influenced by the arts that's there. So if you can think about the architects, and we have two great architectural firms, ARO from New York and Kirksey locally, who have been working on it, they tour the building and they see the same artwork that you see. They hear and feel the vision that we have when thinking about this very large addition that's coming soon. So we're excited. And of course, it would be uh, unthinkable to do that without well, more I art. Well, I mean, you're, you're, you can't leave. You're yeah. here for forever. Well, they're keeping us busy. Yeah. But I do, th I do think it's, a, 
it, it, it is interesting how art can be a part of that changing discourse. And it's important, you know, universities simultaneously have a very long timeline, certainly relative to, let's say, business, where we're sort of more in the 100-year timeline. But it's important within that to think about evolution and innovation. And I think that balance, striking that balance between having the long-term architecture that is needed to support the functionality, but having the atmosphere where we're always growing and changing and not not settling for the status quo. And I think when I see the students um, active in McNair Hall, they are the future. You know, they really are absolutely um, taking on the important issues and I hope will go out and, and solve them for us or at least make progress. And so I hope they'll take with them that idea, that comfort with change and evolution that I think artwork brings. I want to add one thing about the edition that's really useful just as a, a subtext is one of the things that will take place is that we'll build um, adjacent on the sort of south side of the existing Manor Hall, and it draws us closer into the Tyrell, into Twilight Epiphany. Um, but everything about the addition was shaped by preservation of the view shed so that nothing is lost, but in fact, in some ways, it signals uh, how important uh, that piece is and how important uh, being congruent with the artistic you know, structure of the existing campus is. I think it's going to be an outstanding addition, and that's going to be an outstanding statement when you see the architect's vision for how we do that. So I'm excited about all this. I think everyone's going to want to see it. Well, I can't wait. Uh, so what timeline? I'm not going to hold you to it, oh, <laughs> but you just know, uh, have to ask. I'll say, uh, fingers crossed, knock on wood, all the, uh, all the usual. I believe in 24, early 24, I think we hope to begin. And, you know, if all goes well, it could be an 18-month or so process before completion, which would put a timeline somewhere around late spring 25 or early summer 25. That's super exciting because that's is. just right around the corner. It's close, so, very close. So one thing I do want to ask is that, you know, a lot of the pieces are modern. It's modern. Well, all of them, right? And so I think that uh, there are some that, how do you explain, this is a very loaded question, how do you explain modern art to those that just don't, it doesn't resonate with them? You know, how, how do you do that? Well, I, one way is to certainly put, put it where people already are. So I think one barrier to appreciation of art in general from any time period is this idea that you have to go to a museum and be educated in that, in that field in order to fully appreciate it. I don't know where that concept comes from, but it's in our culture. <laughs> right, it right, right. And it, it may have to do with the kind of architecture of museums. There's sort of these temple fronts, you know, these... Right, these, good these, point. They can be a barrier to access. And I think one of the interesting things about public art is that there is no barrier if it's in your everyday world. And so you, um, you know, the work behind us is here all the time. Whether people are, are taking classes or studying in the building, they will pass by it. They might spend time looking at it and might not. So I think without, um, I think the best way to, ex not, I wouldn't say explain, but to make accessible any kind of art, but certainly contemporary art, is to make it familiar and um, accessible, like like public art. So we start there by just putting it where people already are. And I love seeing the students on the second floor of McNair Hall, um, where you can see both a pay white, but also a painting by an artist named Joanna Pousset-Dart. And it's at the far end of the hallway, kind of anchoring the other side. 
And it's a shaped canvas of bold colors that is very innovative, I think, in its um, approach to the more traditional medium of abstract painting, but she's innovated against that in this very um, distinctive ways. And it's the kind of thing that could just become part of your peripheral vision as you're studying in that area. Um, but I hope over time that one might be inspired to to look it up. We have an app and a website, or you could just Google the art. The app is key. Yo, so so key. Okay, so can you tell me about the app? Well, the students developed it, of course. Well, the so, business students, I mean, what they should have. Have, an, have much more technological capability. Is it than art at Rice? What's the name of the app? It's um, Pub Rice Public Art. Rice Public so Art. So if you, if you go into the App Store, you can download the Rice Public Art app, which has all the works in the collection, including those in McNair Hall, and with information about the artist and the work. I'm doing that as soon as, as, soon as we can. Everyone should download <laughs> the app. It's fantastic. It's well-designed, thanks to our brilliant and highly technological technologically capable students. Um, but I hope, I think that um, rather than, let's say, a project to grandly explain contemporary art, which isn't, it's like saying, well, how would you start explaining someone to someone the energy industry and the need for, you know, the need for, <laughs> you know, transfer to clean energy? I mean, it would be hard. It's a big topic, right? So maybe better to just wade in and start experientially. And so that's what we're hoping to do. People love the app. I think more that you you learn, they, they learn about the artist, they learn a little bit about the choices that they made, the medium. And I think the best advice is, you know, how do you feel about it? Observe it, think about it. What's what's happening here? Is there a conversation, conversation. Let's have that's a conversation. going on? And that's an incredible beginning. Um, but I like the fact that a lot of people just feel sort of captivated or arrested by the art a little bit. Uh, and we should mention that that happens a lot I see that every day because I work in what was formerly our library. I think kind of the best internal real estate in some ways is now the the Barbara and David Gibbs Conver Convocation Hall, or what we colloquially call Gibbs Gallery in some way. You walk in and you have these pieces of art that are really large and arresting there, and people love to just come in and pause and think and sit or take their coffee break and walk through. It's it's remarkable. So I don't know what their internal dialogue is at the time, um, but I'm sure it's the kind that we would want them to have. Well, maybe we could do a podcast about it and we can interview those folks, right? That would be great. Sure. <laughs> what are you thinking right just, now? Just an idea, <laughs> right? We need to put that on on a on a future episode for sure. So, okay, final final questions. Obviously, um, you know, art is such an integral part of both of your lives. What's your favorite piece of art on the planet? Oh, on the planet? Yes. <laughs> or you can. You don't have to pick just one. I'm going to pick in the building. All right. I'm all just right, going right, to say. All right, all right. Fair enough. The planet is a little bit high. So I will say, uh, I think Kandinsky studied economics, by the way. He, I do remember yeah. that. And so I, you can actually see some early depictions of you know, Marshall's sort of curves and the way that he described uh, growth paths and things like that. So I was always taken by Kandinsky's early just because of that particular connection. There's actually one yellow, red, blue, I think, or gelp, or blue, whatever the name is, that I remember very well because of that. So I would say that is probably my favorite, but, you know, sort of abstract expressionist work of art or whatever he was doing at the time. In the building, it's just hard not to love the pay white piece. Yeah. So that's mine. But 
you've given Allison an impossible I question. Can't say, as the I can't of say. All of our artists, with the exception of Carmen Herrera, are living, and so I can, I couldn't pick a favorite. Well, that's why I said not necessarily building, but on the planet, I I you know I I made it a I opened it up right and gave you a, a larger opportunity to. To yes. answer question. Well, and I, yeah, I can't, I really can't pick a favorite because I love, I, I do think that art functions in such different contexts. But what I hope is that people will feel comfortable in choosing their own favorites. So that's a great conversation. It, it <laughs> breaks down the barrier of that need to be, feel that you are, let's say, um, a scholar of art history or super well informed. It's fine to just like or not like. You could say, I love the colors in this one. I like the, I love the medium. We we actually have quite a, a few different types of materials, you'll notice, as you go throughout the building. Um, one work, for example, is made out of uh, acrylic. So um, Marta Children created a work called Parallel Greens, which is slices of acrylic, and there were individually 3D printed hinges, which were designed in combination between the artist and Metalab Houston. Mm -hmm. So an example of truly creative problem solving in an applied manner that piece is is there and i think that um you could just say well i really like how cool the light is when it creates a shadow off that piece or i really think those hinges are awesome because they were so beautifully designed and 3d printed um so i think i would invite students it would be fun maybe at some point we'll have a sure uh something where students get to express art their runoff, favorite yeah, art a tournament of yeah. art pieces the student's know. choice well, well there's an art car parade right that's you right have yeah sure, something sure, like sure. That. it could be yeah yeah it, well i think the the most interesting part about art is that um the more you explore the planet the more you're exposed to different kinds of art. You, you didn't give your answer. Maya, I'm not. By the well, way. I'm the one that asked the questions. Top three, I'm not, top I don't give one? the answers. Okay. I ask the questions. Okay, that's good. <laughs> I, I, as a professor, I can relate to that exact sentiment. Right. I like all of it. I mean, I, I don't know. I think that, um, you know, because it's whenever we go on travels with, with our kids to expose them to different cultures and countries and, and everything else, you know, I always feel like, oh my gosh, I've seen the most phenomenal thing here. And it's something that, you know, I'll keep with me for the rest of my life. And then, you know, you travel somewhere else and you're just, you're blown away by something different. And, and I think it's just, um, it, it's your own private collection within yourself mm -hmm. that you carry around. Right. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Well put. Well, we really appreciate your time and thank you so much. And um, again, that app, everybody needs to download that app. Rice Public Art. Public Art at Rice, yeah. yeah. And thank you, Allison. Just thank can't thank you enough for the years of work. You've transformed this space for us. Thank you, you both have. Well, thank you for the invitation. It's been a great, a very fruitful I, collaboration. I agree. I agree. We'll we hope continue. We'll inspire more. Yes, that's absolutely true. Well, we'll have to do a follow-up. We will. Yeah. I like it. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for listening. This has been I'll Have You Know, a production of Rice Business. You can find more information about our guests, hosts, and announcements on our website, business.rice.edu. Please subscribe and leave a rating wherever you find your favorite podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think. The hosts of I'll Have You Know are myself, Maya Pomeroy, and Scott Gale.